Welcome to Uncommon Real Estate, where it's all about finding creative solutions for real estate agents and investors. In exclusive mastermind conversations with some of the brightest minds in real estate, you'll learn how to earn an extra six figures a year. Don't follow the herd. Be uncommon. Here are your hosts, multi-millionaire real estate agent and investor, Chris Craddock and Jeff Safright. Hey friends, welcome here to another episode of your Uncommon Lunchbox with your host, Chris Craddock, myself, Jeff Safright. Today, we have a special guest on with us, Sherrod Mehta. Sherrod is going to uh, share his stories on fippy, flipping, I think, more than 50 houses. Is that right? Uh, what, right? Give us the story, introduce Sherrod, Chris, and let's jump in and get going. Yeah, I love the fact that, uh, you know, Sherrod and I are in a group together. And uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome to see, um, you know, a lot of people feel like you have to be belly to belly with people when you're flipping houses, you need to, you know, be right there. But um, Sherrod shows us, um, you know, that that flipping houses virtually is a very real thing. Technology has opened up everything here. And so um, to be able to flip virtually do things outside of your backyard is a very real thing. And uh, so yeah, get a get to hear a little bit from Shiraz. Shiraz, tell us, tell us about yourself. Tell us where you started. Tell us where you are now. Tell us where you're headed. Cool, guys. Thank you, first of all, for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, and so I actually live in Toronto, Canada, right outside of Toronto, Canada. So I'm flipping internationally, I guess you can say. Um, I, I do my investing in Northwest Indiana, right outside of Chicago. So I used to live in Chicago until 2015. So that's how I think. 2015, I moved to Carlsbad, uh, California. And then that's where kind of, you know, I was forced to run my business virtually. And we don't do any wholesaling or, you know, uh, like we don't assign any contracts we never have. So everything that we pretty much buy, we're, uh, everything we are uh, getting the contract we're closing on. And then we rehab. So our rehabs are anywhere from on a low end 10 to high end, like 60, $70,000 rehabs that we're managing virtually. So even just to give you a background about my team structure. So I'm the owner of the company I live in Canada. And then I have my acquisition manager who lives in Indiana. So she's the only local person that we have in uh, on the ground. Then my project manager who manages all the projects is in California. Uh, so she's managing all the projects. And then my marketing sales manager CEO he's based in South Carolina and we have three people in Philippines uh, well I, I'm interested in the team structure and how you connected with uh, with everybody because uh, you, you your project managers in California obviously your acquisition manager uh, being on the ground locally makes sense but how did and then you I think you said your marketing person is in uh, on the east coast South Carolina right South Carolina. Yeah, South Carolina so like how'd you how'd you build your team and connect connect with everybody so the person that I have in California, Claudia, my project manager, she's been with me for over, about five years now since I moved to California. So she's been with me since then. So I hired her as a, like as an admin assistant. And then, you know, she kind of started taking on more responsibilities. And then she started managing our project from California. So, you know, uh, right now we have eight active projects going on and six, seven more under contract. And uh she she's been to indiana in last five years she's been to indiana three times uh or maybe four times um 
most of the contractors or almost, I should say almost every contractor that we're working with, I have never met them. I've never talked to, I don't even know what they look like. Um, so, so that's how I met Claudia and then Brandon, who is uh, the, you know, the, the, the operating officer in the company, uh, he and I were in a mastermind together. So we've known each other for about three years and then he came on board in November of last year. Uh, yeah. And then, and then the three VAs in Philippines that we've had to upwork and other sources. Awesome. Very cool. That's great. That's great. So, um, so what is uh, your preferred method of, uh, of marketing? How, how do you typically market? Uh, we do direct mail, cold calling. Uh, we're doing texting, but we're noting it's starting to like, you know, get really saturated. So direct mail, I would say is our most consistent, um, uh, marketing and it's been for over the last few years, you know, as like texting, calling is getting a little bit harder and then PPC and SEO. We're looking into radio and TV ads, but because we're right outside Chicago, so our radio and TV territory would also cover Chicago, which we don't really market in. Okay, cool. So, and, and do you move, do you mainly just keep that one location or do you look at other locations as well? Just one county. So in one county, um, yeah, that's it. And we're, we are looking to expand into other markets. Uh, our goal is by next quarter, Q3, or you know, before the end of the year, we would want to be in a bigger market also and doing everything virtually. That's great. That's great. So Jeff, do you have some other questions? I got a few more, but I don't want to ask yeah, <laughs> But how long have you been at this? And uh, you know, what has your growth rate been like? So I started investing in 2010, buying rental properties is how I started investing. So, uh, you know, I started reading books like, you know, uh, how to be a millionaire real estate investor. So that had a pretty big influence on kind of my, you know, what I started doing with investing. So I own about 75 units in Northwest Indiana. Most of them are paid for free and clear. And then from there, you know, I had uh, back in 2012 through 14, I started working with an overseas company. They're based in Australia. So the Australian dollar was very strong back then, you know, because of the whole, uh, you know, downturn. So you had a lot of overseas investors buying properties in uh, US. Uh, and then, then, you know, I was selling a lot of properties to them. And then in 2000, you know, then 2014, 15, you know, the US dollar kind of uh, was on par with the Australian dollar. So the market wasn't as attractive for overseas investors. And then we started getting more into turnkey properties and also fix and flip. So mm -hmm. the first through fix and flip, like the rehab selling to uh, owner occupant properties that we actually did was in 2014. Mm -hmm. yeah, so from 2010 to uh, 2014, it was mostly rental properties and selling to overseas investors as turnkey. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. So when you're selling to overseas investors, how are you building your list um, for for overseas investors? So we were actually, I was actually working with a company that was based in Australia. So what they were doing was, so they had, they had done their marketing. So they had a list of people. So I was essentially selling to them and then they were uh, selling to their list of people. So I wasn't like directly selling to local investors. Okay. So was it kind of like a, so, so you guys were buying, getting everybody in and then selling to them. So um, they were kind of a platform that was selling it for you. Exactly. So sort of like you can say like rooftop, you know, something like that for, you know, for Australian market. But I mean, they didn't have a platform. They just had a huge marketing list. 
you know, back back in the day that they were marketing to, and then like you had this crazy demand for people looking to buy properties all over US. You know, we did I did one deal with them in Phoenix where you know we we bought like sixty condos out of like a three hundred condo complex, mm. and and sold it to them. Yeah, right. Cool, cool, cool. That, that's great. So um, from here, your next steps are are expanding into other areas as well. Right, other areas, and then I've also started a software company. You know, in 2015 when I started uh, kind of doing everything virtually, so I started looking at all the like you know software pieces I would need. So I actually ended up starting a software company. So my focus is kind of in the software company and uh, the flipping business. The flipping business is very is very virtual and very hands off for me. Like I have been been to Indiana in a year and a half now, um, and then most. I would say I spend about at most half hour to hour in day on running the flipping business. So it's very hands-off for me. Uh, you know, we have good systems in place, good people that we have. Uh, so it's, it's pretty much an autopilot at this point. Like my involvement, honestly, is mostly signing the buy side, sell side documents and just, you know, the transaction part. That's pretty much it. So let's jump into that real quick because I know a lot of people would love to know how to, how to build a business um, like that. So um, how do you have your, your leadership in the team set up? Um, how do you, if, if you're so hands-off, do, do others, are they getting profit share? Are they getting a salary? How do you, how do you set up your leadership? So the, um, yeah, so, yeah, so every, everybody is on salary. Uh, and then the, uh, my acquisition manager is also a licensed broker. So when, you know, when we're putting anything on the market, like she's the one who's listing it. So she's making money on that and plus, uh, plus salary. And then my, uh, my CEO is on salary plus profit and same for my uh, project manager. And then the V is also they get for every property that we buy, they also get profit. So yeah, everybody gets profit. How do you break down your, uh, the percentages um, that, that people are making? Uh, so the, the project manager and the CEO, they're making 10% of the profit of every project, plus they both get base. Okay. Okay. Right. So they're both making 10%. Okay. So you're, you're taking 20% of profit off and then the rest right. is overhead and then, and then that leaves you profit. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I mean, I would say like, you know, some of the things that when I look back now, uh, the book that I read, Emit, for example, that, you know, I didn't realize how much influence it had on my business when I read it. But now when I look back and certain things that I do now in my business, you know, a book like Emit had a huge influence in kind of how I'm running my business. You know, um, it's a lot of things we've systemized that I don't really have to get involved. And, and I've been fortunate enough to have the right people that are way, way smarter than I am. Uh, another book, like the one thing, you know, I mean, I have to realize like what I am really good at. I'm not going to be good at everything. You know, I have to just look at what my absolute core competency is and then just double down on that and then find everybody else who's going to be much better at the other functions in the business. Okay. What was the first book you, you said, you mentioned? Emit. Emit. What is that? The Emit. Uh, it's, Emith revisited. Uh, oh, like, Emith. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. I, I was gotcha. Yeah, Michael Gerber. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. So I mean that that had a huge influence. I mean again, like this is a book that you know the one thing I always keep it on my desk. I, you know, go back to it. 
just to kind of keep reminding myself, like I, I have to focus on what the one thing I'm really, really good at. And then for everything else, I have to find people mm. and then make sure that that's their one thing. So my project manager, you know, her one thing is to get her projects done on time within budget. And that's it. That's the only thing she's responsible for. She doesn't have to worry about marketing. She doesn't have to worry about taking calls. None of that. Same thing for my acquisition person. Like her sole responsibility is to go on appointments and get properties under contract. That's it. She doesn't have to worry about managing projects, managing contractors, marketing, and then just finding those people and then just making sure that they're just solely focused on their one thing. Nice. How often do you have turnover in your business with, um, with staff? The last person that turned over was two years ago and we, we let go of them you know, because of some ethical issues. But other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I can't think of people that we've let go. Yeah. And we've been working with the same contractors for like three, four years now. Right. 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 No, that's great. And do you have, do the contractors, they work in-house or are those other no. contractors? They're 1099. Okay, great. Right. Very good. And do they only work for you or do they do their own stuff outside as well? Uh, they, they pretty much work for us. I mean, we have been at projects so like keep them going from one project to another. So I, I don't think that they have capacity to do any other, you know, uh, major project for anybody else. You know, we already have like eight that we're working on right now. And then we have six, seven more in the pipeline. So you know, at least they're going to be busy for the next three to four months. And by then we'll have other projects come on. Right. Right. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, cool. What are some questions we should be asking you about your business that we, that we're not asking you? I, obviously we, you know, we have um, a couple expansion teams where, where we are, but uh, obviously working virtually um, complete virtual is, is a little bit outside of what I normally do. What are some questions we should be asking you that we aren't asking you right now? Uh, I mean, it's like some of the questions are, you know, like people think it's challenging. I mean, you know, when you break down the business, it's a pretty simple business. You know, there's a lot of moving pieces, but there's nothing like complicated that, you know, you need to, you know, like, I mean, you need like, you know, some sort of like formal education uh, to do anything in the business. I mean, I would say the, the, the most important thing for me has been finding the right people. Um, and then the question like, how do you find the right people? The, the best source is to find from referrals. Like if you know somebody, let's say Chris, you and I, you know, we know each other. Like if you refer someone, you know, I'm gonna take that very seriously versus finding somebody on like Craigslist or like some other sources. So I, I would say like definitely, you know, even if you think you're gonna be looking for, even if you think you don't need anybody right now, but you know, you, you think you're potentially gonna have a need for someone in next, four to six months, I would, I would start, you know, um, checking in, in my network now to see if they know anybody who would be a good fit for this position down the road. Um, you know, and yeah, so that's, that's what I would, I mean, like finding the right people would be, would be the, the huge, uh, you know, I mean, like if you're trying to do everything on your, on your own, there's, you're going to reach, you know, a limit, that you're not, you're not going to be able to go beyond. So finding the right people and then just like doubling down on kind of what your strengths are. Right, right, right. So finding the right people and then doubling down on expenses. And then do you run all your direct mail in-house? Do you have a, a marketing manager? How do you handle that? 
so we have the marketing person who who runs uh, like pulling our layers, doing marketing, and then again we you know anytime we're doing anything like we know it's it's something that we need to do um, you know often. Then we'll record a video, we'll create a you know SOP like standard operating procedure. So then once we have a new person like. If, if let's say if I'm ordering direct mail and I know this is something we need to do every month or every other month, then there's no need for me to teach somebody every month, just record a video once or, you know, create a document and then share it with somebody and then just have them do it exact same thing. And then whenever they have a question, so make sure you add it in your SOP so then they don't have to come back and ask the question. Mm. Right. right. Just documenting. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. No doubt. Well, very cool. So, um, so how, like when you're documenting an SOP, what is, uh, I think that's a really important key and, and you see some of the highest level folks, um, all over the place there, they do that. They have their SOPs documented. What can you, can you give us a walkthrough of something that you're documenting, how you do it? Um, just so that everybody can get that, because I do think that's a, a, a piece of leveling up that I, I don't think many people have done in their business. Yeah. I mean, so what we would do is like the easiest would be to record a loom video, right? That would be the easiest thing. Like if I, if I'm, let's say I'm doing something online, like whether it's buying a list. So we just bought our list from list source, for example. So we recorded a video, a 30 minute video on how to buy it, how to break down the list and you know, however we want to market it. That's recorded, that's documented. Now there's no need, then the goal should be if I give that, video to somebody or if I give you know a written document to somebody the goal should be you give it to somebody and just watch them are they able to do exactly get to the exactly the same end result by the time you know following that in following the instructions if not then whatever questions they have then go back and make sure you add answers to those questions in the document right so at this point we, we, we hired someone so we're having that person interview everybody in our company and ask them, okay, what do you do? And then like screenshots, videos, documenting everything. Then we're going to have somebody else in our company who hasn't done that, just follow the same thing and see if they're able to do the same thing. They right. do the same result. That's great. That's great. Yeah, going from, from that one piece to the next. No, that's, that's awesome. So, well, really cool. Uh, sorry, Jeff, did you have something? Well, Tamika, Tamika is asking how you found your contractors. Uh, to be honest, I actually don't know uh, because I've, I've never talked to them. I've never met them. My, my project manager found them uh, and the contractors, I think it was through referrals. Uh, we don't, we don't buy stuff from Home Depot anymore. Uh, you know, we just let our contractors like give us a bid on labor and material, but I believe, I believe we got that referral from somebody we knew at Home Depot uh, that referred that contractor over to us. But again, a good source for finding a contractor would be, you know, your local RIA. Uh, meetings um, and then also going to your uh, talking to the building department uh, the building department like the code enforcement inspectors uh, and then also generally most cities would have a list of licensed contractor on on their website so I would go to the list and then just start calling some of the companies and from there nice yeah. right. Cynthia wants to know how you financed your first deal your first how company. I finance yeah, absolutely. So my wife and I, you know, we're huge, uh, I mean, not uh, huge fans, but we, you know, we believe in like living a debt-free life. Uh, so, you know, I mean, if you guys are familiar with Dave Ramsey, so again, you know, he had a huge kind of influence on just my lifestyle and the business. Uh, so 
my wife and I will live on lower of the two incomes and save the higher income. So from there, you know, when we were both working, uh, you know, I was working as an accountant. So we had been saving one income. And then in 2010, when we bought the first property, we had some money saved up. So we took that money, invested in a couple of properties. Um, and then, you know, once you know, okay, this, this could be really good opportunity. Then I started borrowing some money from family and friends, but I was, I was borrowing that money on very aggressive payback period. So I would borrow with seven year amortization and two year balloon payment. So in, so I was in a way forced to pay those back. Um, and then, you know, I paid that back now, you know, for my rehabs that we're doing, I have some of my money invested and I have some private money from friends and family. And then I have a line of credit that I use. That's awesome. So, so at the beginning, you guys just, just were saving, saving up. Right. That's great. That's great. Exactly. Very yeah. cool. Um, and, and now currently you said that you have, you have the money that you've saved up and, you know, basically right. building a fund essentially for it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. With my, you know, friends that, have seen me kind of what I'm doing and they're like, Hey, you know, can I do you have an opportunity to invest money with you and whatnot? So just doing through those sources and then have a line of credit from a local bank in Indiana. How do you, so the people that are, uh, that are investing, what do you pay them? Uh, seven to 9% depending on if they want to get paid uh, monthly interest or if they, you know, if they want to get money at the end of six months or so, but the people, you know, with the people that have been investing with generally, you know, once they invest their money, like every six months, I would ask them, hey, do you need your money back or not? Um, and then, you know, some people that we started out to, they started out with 50,000, then they went up to 100, 150, you know, as they got more confident. And then like this one guy, I have like $700,000 that I've invested, that he has invested with us and I'm just paying him monthly interest on that. So and then I ask him every six months, hey, do you need your money back or I just can keep it for a small project? That sounds more like a, a hard money investor. Is that, is that, accurate you, you say you're, you're getting they're getting returns of seven to nine percent yeah but there's no um what do you call upfront fee or anything yeah right yeah i mean they don't i mean they don't they don't care they just they would just like wire money in my account and that's it like whatever i do with that money whether i invested in bitcoins or that's totally up to me they don't they don't care they don't ask for any paperwork um they just well, just based on a trust yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, with hard money, you know, I, I believe I've never gone down the path of hard money, but I believe they would require like appraisals and stuff, you know, property information. But yeah, with this, no documentation. It's like, hey, here's the money, just pay me monthly. And then, you know, every six months, I'll just check in with them. Hey, do you need the money back or not? That's it. Yeah, private money is always better than hard money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So. No, that's great. That's great. Well, very cool. Um, uh, Jeff, uh, Sherrod, is there anything else that we should be asking you or should have asked you that we didn't ask you before we uh, wrap up here? Or anything? Uh, no, man. I know you're, uh, you're also, you have some, some software you're going to be selling and other stuff. Is there any, how can people contact you? How can people, um, if you have some stuff that uh, that's helping people do what you're doing, how can people uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, so, like, you know, back in 2015, I started a software just with the idea of like running my own business and having everybody on my team be using one software. So now we've grown to the point where we have like, you know, hundreds of people using our platform, you know, people starting out doing like over 100 deals a year. 
yeah, so if anybody wants to check out, like it's resimply.com. And if they have any question, they can contact me through the contact us form. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Well, cool. Jeff, you want to take us home here? Absolutely. Hey, friends, before we jump off here, just want to uh, make a note, uh, actually a, a request, if you will, a request with, uh, with a reward slash benefit here. So if you can go wherever it is that you're listening to uh, this, you know, if you're, if you listen to it via podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, wherever it may be, give us a, give us a review. Hopefully it's a five-star review there. That would be great. Uh, you can also go to reviewreduxgroup.com. Give us a five-star review there as well. In return for doing so, I would love to sit down with you for 30, 45 minutes or so, maybe even an hour, depending on uh, how the conversation goes, and see if there's any way that I can help you level up in your real estate business or anything else in life and, uh, and just, just help out there. So that would be great. Uh, you can reach us via the Facebook group, Uncommon Real Estate. Uh, you can also reach out to me personally at 703-899-7270. Uh, one last time, 703-899-7270. Look forward to chat chatting with you soon. And uh, this does conclude another episode of your Uncommon Lunchbox with your host, Chris Craddock, myself, Jeff Safright. Sherrod, it was a pleasure having you on. Thanks for sharing your, uh, your story here and best of luck in the future. For everyone else, we'll see you again next Tuesday, same time, same place. Until then, continue crushing it. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Uncommon Real Estate. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest mastermind conversations from Chris, Jeff, and other uncommon real estate industry leaders. If you love this podcast, please write us a review. And to fast track your real estate career, go to chriscraddock.com. 